Welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and today is Sunday, May 30th. I decided that I'm going to do something a little different for this podcast because I actually got a reader's question, and I was really curious about this question, so I've ended up doing a little research on it, and I'm going to take some time in this episode to talk about Alexandra Kolontai's influence on the American or well, Russian-American anarchist Emma Goldman. So this is the question that I received over email. Quote, I was curious if you have read much on Emma Goldman and if her and Kolontai would be friends, considering they were both quite syndicalist and had similar views on marriage. So this question comes from somebody named Luke, and he provides a link to a 1914 essay that Emma Goldman wrote on marriage and love. And obviously, Emma Goldman was an anarchist. Uh, Alexandra Kolontai, as you know, started out as a Menshevik and ultimately became a Bolshevik. And some might argue that she sort of ended up, at least for a brief period of time in the 20s during the workers' opposition, as an anarchist. And so what I'm going to do today is just talk a little about the times that Emma Goldman and Alexandra Kolontai did meet, and to read some selected quotes from Emma Goldman's own writings, particularly my further disillusionment with Russia and Living My Life, two of her books, where she explicitly mentions her various contacts with Alexandra Kolontai. So for those of you who don't know, Emma Goldman was a Russian emigre. Uh, she came to the United States and was very important together with her partner, Alexander Berkman, in the anarchist movement in this country. She was also an incredible advocate for women's rights as well. And so I think that it's really interesting to sort of think about the ways in which these two women might have impacted each other. And as least, at least as far as I can tell, it does seem that Emma Goldman was aware of Alexandra Kolontai's work prior to her actual meeting her in Russia in 1920. So the first reference that we see to Emma uh, from Emma Goldman to Alexandra Kolontai is um, in 1915-16, Alexandra Kolontai was in the United States and she was giving a series of lectures, obviously against the First World War. She was a radical pacifist at this time. And in fact, it was the Bolshevik opposition to the war that eventually leads Alexandra Kolontai to leave her social democratic uh, past behind and, and become a, a more strident Bolshevik comrade. So Alexandra uh, Kolontai was living in New York uh, for a brief period of time. She was obviously traveling, but she and Emma Goldman would have been living in New York at the same time. And so in one of her books, Emma Goldman uh, writes, quote, I had known for some time of the presence in New York of Madame Alexandra Kolontai and Leon Trotsky. From the former, I had received several letters and a copy of her book on women's share in the world's work. 
She had asked me to meet her, but I had been unable to spare the time. Later on, I had invited her to dinner, but she was prevented by illness from coming. And this is a quote from Emma Goldman's autobiography slash memoir, Living My Life. So it's pretty clear that these two women, even before they ever met, were in contact with each other and that Alexandra Kolontai was sending Emma Goldman her work on women's issues and that Emma Goldman was clearly reading it. How exactly Emma Goldman's own work was influenced by Kolontai's is um, a question that would be really fun to dig into know, for a thesis or, or even possibly a dissertation, because I think that you would have to look for letters uh, and, and traces of this work in terms of the kinds of phrasing that they use in their various articles. They were obviously both very much of the opinion that capitalism uniquely oppressed women and oppressed women in particular ways because of their social reproductive responsibilities in the home. But the time that Emma Goldman really got to spend with Alexandra Kollontai was when Emma Goldman and Alexander Berkman were living in the the new Soviet Union. They they went, uh, they traveled, they were deported from the United States in 1919, and they went to the new, you know, Soviet Russia. And in March of 1920, they were living at the Hotel National in Moscow, and they were literally sharing a residence with Alexandra Kolontai and some of the other Bolsheviks. And so this is a quote, again, from Living My Life, describing uh, her feelings about these old Bolsheviks that she was meeting for the first time. Uh, she refers to Sasha, uh, that is her partner, Alexander Berkman. This is a quote. Both Sasha and I held on to the firm belief that the Bolsheviki were our brothers in a common fight. Our very lives and all our revolutionary hopes were staked upon it. Lenin, Trotsky, and their co-workers were the soul of the revolution, we were sure, and its keenest defenders. We would go to them, to Lunacharsky, Kolontai, Balabanov. Jack Reed had spoken of them with deepest admiration and affection. They were capable of other criteria than a membership card in estimating people and events, Jack had said. They would help me see things in their proper light. I would seek them out. So here, just a brief note before I continue with this quote, Jack Reed is the American journalist who was also in Russia for the revolution. He wrote this very famous book, 10 Days That Shook the World. And his partner was Louise Bryant, who also spent some time with Alexandra Kolontai and has written about her in her books, Mirrors on Moscow and others. And the the keen thing here is that Jack Reed was this American who put Emma Goldman into contact with the very, very highest echelons of the Bolshevik party at this particular time in 1920, after they'd been deported from the United States. And Jack Reed um, will be important later, because both Emma Goldman and Alexandra Kolontai went to his his funeral when he died in, in Russia in late 1920. So this is a continuation of the quote. And I think it's one of the most substantial um, reflections that Emma Goldman has on Alexandra Kolontai. So this is directly from Emma Goldman's memoir. 
Alexandra Kolontai and Angelica Balabanov were within easy reach as they were living in the Nationale. I sought out the former first. Madame Kolontai looked remarkably young and radiant, considering her 50 years and the severe operation she had recently undergone. A tall and stately woman, every inch the grand dame rather than the fiery revolutionist. Her attire and suite of two rooms bespoke good taste. The roses on her desk rather startling in the Russian grayness. They were the first I had seen since our deportation. Her handshake was limp and aloof, though she did say that she was glad to meet me at last in great vital Russia. Had I already found my place, she inquired, and the work I wanted to do. I replied that I still felt too uncertain of my ground to decide where I could be of best use. Perhaps I should know better after I had talked with her about the things that disturbed me, the contradictions I had found. I should tell her everything, she said. She was sure she could help me over my first difficult period. Every newcomer passes through the same state, she assured me, but everyone soon learns to see the greatness of Soviet Russia. The little things do not matter. I tried to tell her that my problems did not concern themselves with little things. They were vital and all important to me. In fact, my very being depended on their right interpretation. All right, go ahead, she remarked nonchalantly. She leaned back in her armchair, and I began speaking of the harrowing things that had come to my knowledge. She listened attentively without interrupting me but there was not the slightest indication in her cold, handsome face of any perturbation on account of my recital. We do have some dull gray spots in our vivid revolutionary picture, she said when I concluded. They are unavoidable in a country so backward, with a people so dark and a social experiment of such magnitude, opposed by the entire world as it is. I could help... Kolontai continued. I could work among the women. They were ignorant of the simplest principles of life, physical and otherwise, ignorant of their own functions as mothers and citizens. I had done such fine work of that kind in America, and she could assure me of a much more fertile field in Russia. Why not join me and stop your brooding over a few dull gray spots, she said in conclusion. They are nothing more, dear comrade, really nothing more, unquote. So this passage from Emma Goldman is obviously initially quite judgmental, I think, of Alexandra Kolontai. She had read many of these women's works. She knew that Kolontai was the commissar of social welfare. She obviously states at the beginning of this section that they looked up to the Bolsheviks as their comrades in arms, as the people on who, upon whom they'd pinned all their hopes. But Kolontai was very grand, and obviously Emma Goldman was very intimidated, felt uncomfortable with the roses on her, um, you know, in Kolontai's room and the fact that she got two rooms to herself. Um, that she was dressed very well. I mean, obviously, many people 
had similar reservations about Kolontai, who seemed to be uh, aristocratic in her way of behavior and her way of dress. Although, you know, she tries to defend herself by saying that almost all of her clothes were taken from, you know, the communal stores of of things that had been nationalized. She just apparently had a, a very, very good sense of style and was able to kind of put together herself in a way that made it very clear that she was not a member of the proletariat or of the the peasant class in Russia. She was obviously somebody who spoke a lot of languages and had these huge international connections and was very much a part of, at that time, the international sort of socialist women's movement as it existed. Now, Emma Goldman was actually a little older than Alexandra Kolontai. Kolontai was born in 1872, and Goldman was born in 1869. But Goldman had emigrated to the United States in 1885, and uh, she had really done most of her work in the United States. And in fact, uh, Kolontai, as we know, had traveled all around Europe, had been publishing widely in many languages, was very influential at these international socialist conferences for women. And it's it's probably, you know, likely that there was a little bit of a competition between these two women when, when they first met. However, I think it's very interesting that if we continue to look at Goldman's own writing, it seems that her opinion of Alexandra Kolontai really improves in the following year. And partially that has to do with Kolontai's funeral oration at the grave of Jack Reed, John Reed, the American journalist, as I said, who died in Russia. And then obviously later with Kolontai's alignment and representation of the workers' opposition, which really sort of channeled a lot of the frustration that Emma Goldman had with Russia and fueled her quote-unquote disillusionment with that country. So this is a quote from Emma Goldman, uh, her biography, her autobiography, Living My Life. And this is about John Reed's death in 1920. A gray sky overhanging Moscow, rain steadily drizzling its melancholy tune, The artificial wreaths that had served at other funerals were Jack Reed's farewell in Red Square. No beauty for the man who had loved it so, no color for his artist's soul. No spark of the red-white flame of the fighter to inspire those who in bombastic speeches claimed him as their comrade. Alexandra Kollontai alone came close to the spirit of John Reed and found the words that would have pleased him most. During her simple and beautiful tribute to Jack, Louise crumpled to the ground in a dead faint, just as the coffin was being lowered into the grave. So she, Emma Goldman, comes back to this same scene in her volume two of My Disillusionment with Russia, which is sometimes called My Further Disillusionment with Russia. And it's at the beginning of of chapter three back in Petrograd is the name of the chapter. And she gives us uh, a little bit more of the scene of Jack Reed's funeral. And she gives us a a little bit of a flavor of what Alexandra Kolontai said at this funeral. And And I think this is an absolutely beautiful little speech that Kolontai gives. So this is now a direct quote verbatim from Emma Goldman. The expedition was to proceed to Petrograd the next day, but Louise begged me to remain for the funeral. 
Sunday, October 23rd. Several friends rode with her to the trade union house where Reed's body lay in state. I accompanied Louise when the procession started for the Red Square. There were speeches, much cold, stereotyped declamation about the value of Jack Reed to the revolution and to the Communist Party. It all sounded mechanical, far removed from the spirit of the dead man in the fresh grave. One speaker only dwelt on the real Jack Reed, Alexandra Kolontai. She caught the artist's soul, infinitely greater in its depth and beauty than any dogma. She used the occasion to admonish her comrades. Quote, we call ourselves communists, she said, but are we really that? Do we not rather draw the life essence from those who come to us? And when they are no longer of use, we let them fall by the wayside, neglected and forgotten. Our communism and our comradeship are dead letters if we do not give out of ourselves to those who need us. Let us beware of such communism. It slays the best in our ranks. Jack Reed was among the best. Unquote. The sincere words of Kollontai displeased the high party members. Bukharin knitted his brows, Reinstein fidgeted about, others grumbled. But I was glad of what Kolontai had said. Not only because what she said expressed Jack Reed better than anything else said that day, but also because it brought her nearer to me. In America, we had repeatedly tried to meet but never succeeded. When I reached Moscow in March 1920, Kolontai was ill. I saw her only for a little while before I returned to Petrograd. We spoke of the things that were troubling me. During our conversation, Kolontai remarked, yes, we have many dull sides in Russia. Dull, I queried, nothing more. I was unpleasantly affected by what seemed to me a rather superficial view. But I reassured myself that Kolontai's inadequate English caused her to characterize as dull, what to me was a complete collapse of all idealism. Among other things Kolontai had then said was that I could find a great field for work among the women, as very little had been attempted up to that time to enlighten and broaden them. We parted in a friendly manner, but I did not sense in her the same feeling of warmth and depth that I had found in Angelica Balibanova, now, at the open grave of Reed, her words brought her closer to me. She, too, felt deeply, I thought. So, obviously, here, Goldman is becoming much closer, warmer feeling towards Kolontai, partially because I think she forgives Kolontai's bad English. Maybe, perhaps, it was a misunderstanding. But also, I think it's very keen. She's very keen to kind of humanize Kolontai because Kolontai so beautifully eulogized Jack Reed, who I think Goldman was very fond of. And also, I think Louise Bryant, Jack Reed's widow and, and comrade, also thought extremely highly of, of Alexandra Kolontai. And so Goldman was obviously very suspicious of the Bolsheviks, who she feared were betraying the revolution. But eventually, I think she comes to very much respect Alexandra Kolontai, and this is very much apparent in her section on the workers' opposition. Again, this is from my further disillusionment with Russia. And this is a scene, I'm just going to read this uh, last passage, 
where she's describing the debates that are going on in Petrograd about the workers' opposition and whether or not the trade unions are, you know, going to be basically squashed by the Bolsheviks. And she describes four different factions. So there's the Lenin-Zinoviev faction, there's a Trotsky faction, there's also a faction led by an old communist named Raisinov. And um, she talks about uh, Alexandra Kolontai's faction, which is the syndicalist faction, the workers' opposition, as the most important. And so here is Goldman talking about Kolontai. The fourth and most important tendency was that of the labor opposition, headed by Madame Kolontai and Shlapnikov, who expressed the sentiment of the workers themselves and had their support. This opposition argued that the government attitude towards the trade unions had destroyed the interests of the toilers in economic reconstruction of the country and paralyzed their productive capacity. They emphasized that the October Revolution had been fought to put the proletariat in control of the industrial life of the country. They demanded the liberation of the masses from the yoke of the bureaucratic state and its corrupt officialdom, an opportunity for the exercise of the creative energies of the workers. The labor opposition voiced the discontent and aspirations of the rank and file. At the Congress, Lenin denounced the labor opposition as anarcho-syndicalist middle-class ideology and advocated its entire suppression. Shlapnikov, one of the most influential leaders of the opposition, was referred to by Lenin as a peeved commissar and was subsequently silenced by being made a member of the Central Committee of the Communist Party. Madame Kolontai was told to hold her tongue or get out of the party. Her pamphlet setting forth the views of the opposition was suppressed. Obviously, Goldman becomes a pretty strident critic of the Soviet Union. She sees the bureaucratization of of, of Lenin and obviously of Stalin as um, a complete betrayal of the workers. And I think here she's very sympathetic to Kolontai. And finally, you know, she understands that Kolontai, as she gets sent out of Russia, of the Soviet Union on diplomatic service, she's kind of basically being faced, forced into a soft exile. And I don't know to what extent Kolontai and Goldman were ever in contact once uh, Goldman was living in, in France and Kolontai was ambassador in Sweden. Goldman died in 1940, Kolontai in 1952. So there was certainly this long period in the 30s where they might have been in contact with each other. I I do not have any evidence of that at this point. If anybody knows of contact between Goldman and and Kolontai in the 30s, that would be really fascinating. But uh, this was just my attempt to answer a listener's question. I think it's fascinating to know uh, that they were maybe not friends. I don't know if they were really ever close, but they certainly knew each other. And probably their ideas were very influential on each other. Uh, Although, like I said at the beginning, that would be a great topic for further research. So anyway, um, thank you all for listening as I went down a kind of random rabbit hole on Alexandra Kolontai and the anarchist Emma Goldman. Please share this podcast with your friends. Be good to your comrades and keep up the good fight. (laughs) 